0: Welcome to our 17th Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Tanisha Quinlan and I'm CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we gather, the Wadjuk people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. While there's been no mistaking it, 2020 has been quite a year on a number of fronts. It is clear that these are very uncertain times and the way COVID-19 and these uncertain times has hit our very diverse range of Fremantle businesses is incredibly different and quite uneven. Today is roughly the launch of JobKeeper Extension 1 and we're really keen to hear from our panel of experts today as to what they hear coming up on the horizon again anything can be possible I guess given what we've experienced this year but we'll do our best just to have a look at what the new JobKeeper means the tiers the eligibility shifts and also have a consideration of what can be expected for our businesses And I guess the government is asking our businesses and employees to find new ways to support themselves through these changes, and we'll just have a a bit of a chat about that, specifically in relation to how things have gone here in Fremantle. We're very lucky today to have, again, a very diverse panel, but some incredible experts that have seen a lot of businesses come and go and a lot of changes come and go over a period of time. First on our panel today is Mark Douglas, managing partner of Francis A. Jones. Mark leads Fremantle's largest accounting business, where he began his career 34 years ago. With a team of 40, Mark spreads his time across managing the practice and providing business advisory services to his clients. His 30-plus years of experience in helping business has given him a swag of insights into what works and I guess also what doesn't work, Mark. Mark is a voluntary board member also of Fremantle Press, a non-for-profit that identifies and publishes emerging West Australian writers. And I guess the arts and creative industry is another industry that's taken quite a lot of change over the last little while. Mark also authors a weekly column in the Fremantle Herald and you can regularly see him in the West Australian newspaper as well. So, Mark, with all of that experience and everything you've seen over the last 12 months, what do you believe businesses should be doing to successfully navigate through COVID-19 and this extension?
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Donisha, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, look, firstly, I think businesses have been incredibly resilient uh, up to date uh, and uh, and partly because of their ability to be agile and make changes, and, and I think we all recognise that JobKeeper's played a huge part in that as well and has done its job of... Uh, keeping businesses afloat and keeping uh, employees and, and employers together. So, but that's uh, JobKeeper number one has ended, as we all know. So, uh, so there's a bit of work to do. Uh, I think, in my view, I don't think uh, I'd be very surprised if more than 25% of existing businesses on JobKeeper remain on JobKeeper uh, in WA at least. So uh, so there's a number of things that I think businesses need to start looking at.
0: And by remain on it, you mean eligible under the new... Remain yeah,
1: eligible yeah. for the next quarter at least, Not yes. just
0: disappear off the face of the earth. No, Nothing no,
1: no, no. And we've seen very little of that so far and hopefully that will, will still be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so a few things I think businesses need to do. Uh, to do. I think, uh, firstly, uh, they, they must do some cash flow projections if they haven't already. Uh, and the reason they need to do that is because uh, they, they need to know when their cash flow is... Is in trouble, um, and they need to be proactive with creditors, landlords, banks. Banks are much more agreeable uh, if you go to them ahead of the crisis rather than I during guess a crisis. I
0: something that JobKeeper also has enabled, which we forget is that the payments were very regular, so they did actually enable a very regular cash flow. That that's right. They,
1: they smoothed out the cash mm. flow enormously. Mm. That's right. So I think while you, while businesses are doing their cash flow analysis, they should every business should know what their break-even point is. Um, because that's a a, a key indicator. uh, If you can sort of follow the trends of your um, your break-even point, then you can sort of see when trouble's coming. So that's another one. Everyone should know what their break-even point is and monitor that so that they can uh, take some um, proactive sort of action. Uh, And I think um, uh, something I would do is a a deep cost review. Uh, The way I do that is I run a general ledger, of all my expense accounts and I drill down into every line item. Uh, and you can, most softwares these days, you can filter that by supplier. So you can sort of see if people have snuck their prices up or uh, or perhaps there's a software subscription that you were trialling that you forgot to turn off some of those sort of things. You'll always find something in a, in a deep dive cost review. And I think the big one, uh, which I could talk about all day, but I won't, is uh, strategic planning. And the reason that strategic planning is so important at the moment is because Uh, Even if we um, open the borders tomorrow, locally, internationally, uh, even if there was a miracle cure tomorrow uh, for the virus, business has changed forever. Uh, So consumer behaviour has changed, uh, customer expectations have changed, loyalties have disappeared. So those things will never return to normal. And I think it's really, really important that people do some strategic planning, some structured planning um, to make sure that they can deal with those things. And I think that means not just going, having coffee by yourself, it means involving other people. Um, It means having someone who will challenge the way you do things. Uh, And it means having some very clear action points at the end of it. And those things are really important.
0: I'd love to come back to you on particularly some of those points that you've just raised around how the world has changed and, and what impact we will see on, you know, whether we are keeping businesses afloat. But I'll come back to that one because I think your comment on involving other people who see the world maybe a little bit differently um, is a lovely introduction to uh, our next panellist, David. Um, David is Principal of Business and Insolvency Solutions here in Fremantle. You have over 35 years of experience in the insolvency industry and have worked as a company auditor, tax agent and have been a financial control of a UK listed mining company. David is a registered liquidator, a member of the Australian Reconstruction Insolvency and Turnaround Association, a member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants and a number of other organisations as well as CPA Australia. David, you look at businesses from a very different perspective, I guess, and, and unfortunately I often see them, yeah, at the, the other end. Um, but I guess it must provide you with an awful lot of insight into, you know, what, what can go wrong and, and thinking through, hopefully, um, issues before they actually arise and, and you get to that very pointy end of a business. Um, we are looking at some big changes coming up, and I'd really be interested, I guess, on on your perspective of what you've kind of seen over the last 12 months, but also um, what you think are some of the best economic indicators that provide guidance as to what is going to be likely to happen um, once this new JobKeeper kind of comes in and how it's wound back over the next little while.
2: Okay. Um, Big question. Um, Perhaps if we (coughs) address nationally, to start with, Um, The Insolvency Practitioners um, Professional Body, ARITA, recently completed a survey of small businesses asking them what's likely to happen um, when JobKeeper finishes. And the conclusion of that survey was that approximately 10% of businesses Australia-wide would close. (coughs) That's about 240,000 businesses. with the consequential job losses. Um, All four of the big banks expect capital city property prices to fall at least 10%. Um, But if we focus more on Western Australia, um, it's um, fighting against the trend. Um, I don't have the current retail figures, but... um, July's retail sales were up, I think, 3.8% from June and I think 18% from the same time last year. Um, property prices in Perth are up 2.1% because there's been a lot of Melbournians and Sydney siders who were formerly West Australians coming back <coughs> and that's supporting the uh, construction industry. Um, More locally, um, just wandering around Fremantle, some of the long-term vacancy signs, Um, they're starting, I've seen signs saying uh, under negotiation and new leaseholders coming in, which is a good sign. Um, Most businesses should be able to identify where their critical factors lie. Um, You know, whether it be, uh, is your business subject to international tourism um, international students. Are you operating in the construction industry or is the construction industry having an impact on your business? And you're probably able to identify those critical factors. And I couldn't agree more with Mark that um, you really need a cash flow budget. It's, it's so vitally important so that uh, um, you can address the issues before they're critical. Um, so uh, things that also impact uh, the West Australian economy, significantly influenced by the agricultural sector. Uh, Wool prices are down, but I think if there's a good wheat crop, um, that has positive impacts on um, West Australian businesses. We're
0: still seeing a lot of our agriculture products, obviously as part of the export desk, we're still seeing a lot of movement there, which I think is incredibly reassuring. Yeah, that well, there is reassuring, great yes. expectations that that was just going to yeah. drop right off, but we yeah. haven't actually seen it as yet. Which is
2: good, yes. Um, but from my perspective, um, I think um, the recovery um, is going to be from the grassroots by consumer demand. So I think the important thing that sh- people should be watching is uh, the unemployment levels. Um, that will give you an indicator of uh, where you're going to be in the future. Uh
0: And there has been some talk that both JobKeeper and JobSeeker in some ways has put more cash... Into a lot of casual workers, and that is driving some of that retail spend and particularly hospitality spend that we're seeing. So, I guess that's something else to monitor Mm. because not only as cash stops going into businesses, it potentially stops going into consumers. And we may see that. Deloitte Access Economics, um,
2: in their recommendations to government, said that uh, the government should focus on supporting uh, the unemployed and low income, again, to feed that grassroots consumer demand.
0: Absolutely. David, I've just got one more question before we move on to Carl. There's a lot of publicity, and I think you highlighted it in that 10% that potentially businesses will go under. I think they're calling them almost zombie businesses that are being kind of propped up by cash going into them. And back to Mark's point, I guess you identify you know, in your cash flow analysis and your break-even point if you are being supported solely by JobKeeper and that's keeping you afloat. It's a a pretty good definition that you are in zombie business. But what else do businesses need to look for in terms of, you know, making that call as to whether they are being kept afloat by artificial means or whether their business has a longevity?
2: Cash flow budgets. Mm. You really need to know your break-even point. You need to ascertain your... um, When your cash resources are going to run out. um.
0: That's a key point. It's really good. Next on our panel is an industry veteran, and particularly um, in Fremantle, Carl Bullers, CEO of the National Hotel. You've been in the hospitality industry now for the last 30 years, Carl. You've seen some changes through that. You've opened a number of venues in Asia before settling in Perth. Um, More recently, you've brought to life the National Hotel and fully restored it and are currently working on turning the old Fremantle Courthouse into another, I guess, incredible venue, our mastermind of a $5 million facelift, incredible in these times, of the former courthouse and police station buildings in Henderson Street. Lots of change and lots of planning, I guess, in keeping a hysteric and iconic building alive and functioning through these times, but also some optimism in opening a new venue. Really interested, Carl, in in your perspective as a local business leader of what you've seen in terms of COVID impacts on the industry and maybe where you think the changes will go over the next little while.
3: Uh, Well, certainly initially the impacts were enormous because we were... Like most hospitality businesses, given about twelve hours' notice to to completely shut down trading, which uh, was quite daunting, and, and, and given the uncertainty that we were told six months or more could be could be the
0: imagine uh, you felt like some of David's clients having that heartbreaking job of yeah. <laughs> shutting down their businesses overnight.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so you know, going back to to what these guys have already said, you know, that at, at the start you, you're you're trying to Cut your costs as much as possible. Plug all the leaks. Um, stand all the stuff down. Um, and uh, there was a lot of talk about business hibernation at the time, but that's uh, in my head is a complete myth because you've you've always got outgoings, um, whether it's insurance or power or whatever. But you, know, you can't just stand still. So, um, so so certainly we, we, we looked at cutting our costs as much as possible and um, and. Um, you know, hunkering down um, and then JobKeeper came along, which was uh, a great initiative. I I, I don't think at the start we really realised what uh, a great impact it would have because initially it seemed more of a way of just keeping your staff connected. But um, once things started opening up and you started trading, then it allowed you to effectively trade at a zero Wage costs, which um, is, is 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 the the biggest overhead in in, in my industry certainly. So, absolutely.
0: Um,
3: so so yeah. So so as we've come out of COVID, we, we have seen a, a huge upswing in hospitality. Um, and I, I, do, I do think that is um, you know it's not across the board. It, it depends on your location. I think if you're trading in the city of Perth, for example, a lot lot tougher than it is um, in the suburbs or, or Fremantle. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Fremantle um, still has, I guess, that destination, you know, when you can't go internationally, you can't go overseas, you know, a day trip to Fremantle almost feels like you're going somewhere which we have as a strong asset.
3: Yes, don't we? yeah, it's certainly certainly that um tourist town. Um but but we've we've been yeah, the last three months we've been trading um at summer levels, even though technically we're we're fifty percent capacity, um we're still forty to fifty percent up on previous years. So um so yeah, it's it's amazing, but um, but but I think um, to a certain extent, just touching on what David was saying about cash flow, um, as a as a Fremantle hospitality business, you you you're kind of used to that because it's a very seasonal business. So you, so you you run through winter, losing money or or trying to lose as little money as possible, and then you come into summer, and, and that's when you, you you make it back. But um, so so yeah, I would hope that certainly in the hospitality industry you've you've got some experience of managing cash flows and and knowing where your points are that that hurt and, and when you're trading Mm.
0: I remember Peter from the Left Bank actually one of our very first podcasts we had one on managing tight cash flow and through seasonal businesses and he was talking a lot about just really simple things you can do already that are in place, this is well before COVID, to manage those highs and lows of Fremantle business in terms of, you know, casual workers versus permanent employees, you know, shifting costs, getting people to take leave when they're in winter and I guess they're all strategies in a way that you had to put into place during covid
3: that's right yeah although I suppose JobKeeper kind of goes against that because it's trying to get you to to
0: keep people lock people yeah. in
3: to, to employment and uh, your long-term casuals and, and everybody else but but overall it's certainly been a great
0: there thing. has been some talk particularly in hospitality and retail with casual staff that have suddenly got I guess, higher wages in some ways than what they've had before, that maybe the motivation hasn't been as strong um, within venues and, and retail to keep working, given they're getting the money anyway. Do you see that one as an issue or do you see that shifting over the next few months as that winds down?
3: I, I think that will be interesting to see. We, we're struggling to find staff. Um, part of that is because we rely on the backpacker market, particularly over the summer months. Um, but but even outside of that just finding competent uh, people to to you know, work behind the bar or, or or whatever um is has been very difficult and, and, and hanging on to them you know so ha- hanging I think it's been very important to try and hang on to your job keepers because you know I I think I've only lost one out of 14 but um but but once you lose them you have lost that, in that $50 a week has <laughs> just walked out the door so. yeah. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, What's your sense in in terms of the climate within Fremantle? Obviously, you're out and about and you're talking to a lot of people. How do you think people are feeling looking forward for the next few months?
3: Uh, I think it's optimistic. Um, You know, again, just back to the seasonal nature, we're we're now heading into summer. So we've done the hard yards through winter and and, and the shutdown. Um, So um, I think there's a lot of optimism. I am also seeing a few places... Come back on the market. Although there was obviously a few more came on the market over over the COVID period. So, <laughs> um, so you know, and I think I think Fremantle in particular was was just ready to to launch forward with the King Square and everything coming to completion. So so COVID kind of hit and took the wind out of the sails of that. But I, I so but I don't think that's gone away. I think that's just going to be delayed. Um, and and so I I have a high hopes. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the courthouse, but but that wasn't a recent decision. That's you know you're probably 18 months into that already, and. Another year to go before that opens. So
0: two, five, ten. You're
3: in up to your eyeballs, uh, whether COVID is there or not. So.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Mark, in the early statement, I said we'd come back to it. You made a comment that the world has changed. You know, international travel, even we, I can't foresee that coming in for you know a period of time. Uh, the way consumers' loyalty has shifted, the way many. People started to trial things online and have continued to do that. The change of JobKeeper, there is talk that we're almost discouraging people from recognising those shifts that happened. And there may be jobs that don't exist in the way that they did before. Do you see that we've almost potentially, I guess, freeze-framed Um, a motivation to get out, to retrain, to find something new to do? Do you see the reduction in JobKeeper as um, having an impact on how people look at their own jobs and roles and where they go into the future?
1: Uh, Possibly. I I think that um, uh, it's very important that businesses understand what those changes might be and and what those factors are. Um, I think that I would hope that what they have been doing so far is using JobKeeper as a way to uh, to retrain their people, um, and, and particularly during the, the, the lockdown period there was a great opportunity to do that. Um, so I think that the, the, there is going to be an enormous shift and I, I think that, um, you know, businesses just just need to be aware of that and they need to, they need to make plans around that. Uh, I think demand is going to drop for a long time and I think there's going to be a much... Uh, a smaller uh, share of the pie in every industry. And I think that um, it's only the good operators who are going to be successful in in getting a bigger share of that pie. Um, And the only only way they'll do that is to very carefully look at their strategies and make sure that they're, you know, aligned with what's happening in the world. And it's very, very different. Even things like, um, you know, I think consumers expect um, things like digital communication these days uh, and, and, businesses who don't have that uh, or, or are not investing in those sort of things, along with you know everything else digital that you can think of, uh, are just going to fall behind. That's
0: mm-hmm. a good point. And it also is creating a flood of digital communication in many ways, getting through the wash and, and being seen in, in all of that is hard. Have either of you noticed, I guess, some differences in what businesses should be expecting in this new changing world coming out of this?
1: Yeah. Yes, they are. I, I think the, the a, a crisis always brings about change. And so people are very good at making change in times of crisis, they do what they have to do. And I think people get complacent when we're not in crisis and we don't feel like we're in crisis at the moment, we probably should do, but we don't feel like we're in crisis because we're arguably in a better position than just about anyone else in the, in world, the world for yeah. economic recovery. So I think people tend to rest, rest on their laurels a little bit, but um, but we should be acting like we're in crisis and thinking that you know we should expect to be locked down again next week because it might just happen. That's the way... No, we... it
0: can't happen until after the business awards. Can I just I... put that out there? It is not going to happen I... until after the 20th of um,
1: um, <laughs> I sound like a pessimist. I'm really hoping it doesn't happen, but that's the way we need to plan. That's right. it's not the way we need to be I thinking.
2: Mean, just about all of the insolvencies that, that I've dealt with um, over the years, it's generally been those businesses that uh, don't keep their eye on the ball who aren't prepared to be flexible, um, who don't watch the market and who are complacent, as Mark said, Um, you cannot afford to be complacent. particularly now.
0: That's it. And I think that unevenness I I commented on in my introduction, though, I think is what one of the biggest shifts are, is that traditionally it has been those that have kept their sort of eye off the ball, but in some ways the world has changed and it's been very, you know, take international tourism businesses, for example, you know, Mm. I still remember vividly one week of COVID. I was out there going, yeah, the cruise ships are in town and the next week I'm like, go away, all yeah. of you. And it literally was in a seven-day period. You know, that is an incredibly short period of time for a business to get their head around how their world may have changed. And I think they've probably had some time to get used to that. But we are now at a point where the propping up of some of those businesses is going to disappear and those really difficult calls are going to need to be made. I mean, made. even
2: just reviewing um, government reports and looking at statistics that have been published, um, they're often conflicting. So if you're a small business operator um, and you're getting conflicting information, like, I mean, as I said earlier, uh, you know, the Australian economy is in a slump, but Western Australian retail sales are going up. But then again... They're very fragmented. Fragmented. Um, I think household goods and services sales are up to like thirty percent. Cafes and restaurants down twenty percent. The average is up, but depending on which sector you're in. Um, has well, an entirely different impact on the business. We're seeing that in parts
0: of Fremantle. You know, we know food and hospitality is up, but, you know, some of the smaller gift-style retail is well down, you know, mm-hmm. that relied on those international tourists coming through and, and buying the sorts of things that they'd be buying as gifts to take home and those sorts of things. So, again, that unevenness in our industry is probably something that we haven't really experienced before.
1: I think agility is, the, is sort of the big mm-hmm. word that... Our business need to be agile. They need to be. They, we don't know what's coming. The the only thing that's certain is uncertainty at the <laughs> moment, and uh, so businesses have to find a way to be agile and 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 get all the basics
3: right so that they can move quickly. I think I think you change your mindset as well as as a business operator. Uh, my mindset is very different to what it was six months ago because now I'm a lot more um aware that you know i I'd, I'd never in my wildest dreams in you know, twenty years of operating in australia expected that I could be given twelve hours notice to shut down the business so so you you're a lot more i think more cautious in in, in uh, making sure that there are no um outgoings that are not essential outgoings, so you're a a lot tighter, if you like. Um, And and, and also, you know, building up cash reserves because you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm very aware that, you know, I said earlier that business is is very good, but I'm also aware that in three weeks' time, it might be back to zero. So you've kind of got that... uh, Caution underneath that. that it's
0: always... so true. I think, you know, for what the one takeout that I had in those very early days was, you know. Uh grandparents advice of just make sure you've got some money in the bank somewhere Mm -hmm. and I think we had all lived a lifestyle where it actually didn't matter if whether we had money in the bank or not and now it does and I think you're right the decisions we make as business leaders are very different and regardless of JobKeeper or when our PAYG supplements stop or whatever that might be the way we make decisions as business leaders has changed because we now know that something can pulled the rug from under yeah. us. But I guess we also know that we come out the other side and I think that's been another big lesson for a lot of businesses is how incredibly heartbreaking the early part of COVID was. But we're all here and we're all still standing and life still goes on and I think there's definitely, even with the, the job keeper conversation, you know, it will change and it is changing and it, it's nice that the government didn't just draw a line in the sand. It's, it's got a little bit of time to go um, and scale down. But I think we've all come to a point where we realise that the world is just going to keep changing and we have to adapt to it. And that agility you talked about, Mark, is a really, really important point in that conversation, I think. Um, Just back to, I guess, a little bit more of the technicalities of where we're at at the moment. JobKeeper 1 and 2, eligibility has changed. There's a few differences in that. Either Mark or Carl, could you just give us a bit of insight, or David, if you've seen it, just as to what that means in terms of eligibility for businesses mm-hmm. and what they should be thinking yep. about? So,
1: so essentially they're calling it a JobKeeper extension, so it is very much like the original JobKeeper uh, with a couple of key changes. Uh, the f- first, which we've known about for a little while, is that we can now include employees that commenced up until 1st of July, and we've been able to do that for a little while, so that's that's a good thing. Uh, the second that we all know is that the rates have changed, so reduced to $1,200 from $1,500 for, let's call them, full-time employees, and uh, to $750 a fortnight for anyone who worked less than 20 hours in a certain period, February or, or uh, June on average. And the main changes in the turnover tests for eligibility. So, um, so, rather than being based on some monthly turnover tests that we had before, which were quite generous, and also on projected turnover, they're now based on actual turnover for the September quarter, for the uh, first extension. And that's quite hard for WA businesses because we've had an uptick, which is great, but to be down 30% um, in the September quarter compared to the last quarter is is a big ask. But uh, quite importantly is there's a couple of anomalies in there. There is a whole heap of what they call alternate tests, which uh, businesses should have a look at their complex, so you probably need your accountant to have a look at them. Um, But they do bring up some unusual situations that you wouldn't expect. And the second one is that the turnover test this time has, they've changed the definition uh, to what they call GST turnover. And the anomaly there is that it actually includes capital receipts, which makes no sense at all. So if you sold a a piece of machinery or a car back in the September 19 quarter, that might be a good thing because your turnover might be down 30%. (laughs) If you sold a capital uh, asset in the quarter just gone, Uh, even though you genuinely might have been down 30% in your revenue, you're going to not be eligible. So a couple of funny things to have a look at.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And in terms of, I guess, that decision as to whether, you know, JobKeeper is the right decision for you moving forward, have you got any thoughts around, you know, I think we all focus very much on where's our eligibility, but for some businesses it actually may not be the answer at all. Is that a fair assessment?
1: I think if it's available, you'd always take it. Yeah. Firstly, um, because I think it's just like any other grant you apply for, or, or any other support or subsidy, and and uh, unusually, they made a statement very early on that your drop in turnover doesn't have to be COVID related. So it is. Mm. really a a, a support. And it could be
0: some of those market shifts we talked about that are just impacting it. Um, But two quick questions on the technicalities, and then I'll move on to a little bit more broadly. A couple of people have said to me two things to watch out for is one, obviously, the JobKeeper and your PAYG credits potentially, they get classified as income at the end of the year. So you need to make sure that you've covered that off from a tax perspective. Is that correct? And the second one is, If you are, what happens if you assume you're eligible and you're not? Do you have to give the money back?
1: Uh, I think it's hard to assume you're eligible in the new Mm -hmm. JobKeeper because it's based on actual turnover, so it's retrospective. Uh, Initially, it was based on projected turnover and the ATO made it very clear that as long as you projected in good faith and had good records to support that, uh, and if you got it a little bit wrong, you wouldn't have to give the money back. So...
3: They would, you know, I well, think there was only a single test at the start, it wasn't there? Yeah, wasn't, that's right. No, yeah. there wasn't ongoing at all. That's I think right. it was
0: more assuming that, like, through September that you were going to keep on JobKeeper and then you do the test and you're not, but you've already paid your staff and what happens mm. to that sort of, I guess, yep. situation. Just, just
1: so. the other one that you mentioned about things being taxable, but the, the other one which some people might miss is that, the JobKeeper payments you receive can also reduce your wages for payroll tax purposes. Oh, of course. And you need to, that's self assessment, so you need to be careful not to miss that one.
0: Yeah, no, they're really good points. And it's sometimes those smaller ones that we do miss in looking at it. That's why I thought I would ask. So there's been a lot of talk about businesses pivoting and changing. Have you guys come across any examples of that that you've seen locally or any success stories where you've seen businesses sort of change and adapt and thrive through COVID?
2: Unfortunately, I don't
0: work You know, I'm like, no, 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 I don't see any of that, unfortunately. Sorry, I can't I speak am. from personal That's
2: experience. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Might be nice to hear some others then, David. Yes, uh,
2: I'm sure there's some good news out there.
1: <laughs> Most of what I saw with the success stories were um, recreational-type products mm-hmm. um, and uh, from, you know, backyard-type equipment, um, play equipment, uh, to oddly I heard a... Story of mattresses. I don't know if you call that recreational equipment or not. Yeah,
0: but <laughs> it depends why <what> you're doing <laughs> yeah. your mattress. but mattresses.
1: Um, <laughs> some success stories around things like that that are that were just just became hugely in demand. And again, the good operators took full advantage of that mm. um, and and you know made. Hey, while the sun was shining.
0: Absolutely. I think we had um, the guys from Kitchen Warehouse, who one of our core chamber members, on um, a couple of them talking about business systems. And, you know, they were saying that, you know, kitchenware with their own home and baking. And suddenly I think, you know, there has been that almost retraction into our homes, which has made us pay a lot more attention to the couch, the mattress, maybe your pictures on the wall, but also into a, terms of a desperate need to sometimes get out. And I think that's what we're also seeing in our hospitality venues is that need to connect
3: and to be out and about. Yeah, I think uh pivoting in uh a, in a, in a lockdown is very difficult depending on your industry but certainly for hospitality it, the the majority of the um enjoyment is 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 social interacting action and and, and being in the venue. So um you know you, you can pivot as far as flogging booze out your window and and doing uh home deliveries but and 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 Fremantle is very um, it's not very densely populated in, in the CBD, so so very limited effect, and, and certainly for the hospitality industry, it's all about getting people into the venue and, and interacting. So and it's keeping difficult. that
0: connection up. Um, I think I mentioned in one of the other podcasts, but I did love um, Oldbridge Cellars Wine t- Blind Wine Time, where they did a like a blind wine tasting and they run it live. Um, on the first Friday of every month and that's been a wonderful way to connect to that sort of bottle shop style of experience where you know your local people, you know, you're learning something and, and yet you're still having that experience in an intimate way. Um, and, Mark, I think you mentioned early on that the world, you know, has changed and we have to be ready for that. And I know many of us, in terms of pivoting both our lives and our businesses, thought, we've all changed, this is going to be a whole new world. How long do you think that is actually going to last for? Do you think we will revert back to some of the ways that we were before? I think we'll... Yeah, just going, uh, yes.
3: we always revert. If it came out on a Saturday night, you wouldn't know there'd been a pandemic. Really? <laughs>
1: Yeah, human behaviour will always circle back to some extent to, mm. to where it started, but I think there is still going to be an enormous amount of change in there, and things that won't that won't go back to the way they were. So, so it's a matter of finding the you know where the, where that balance is, uh, and I think the you know the the level of consumer spending will come back eventually, all those sort of things. But I think it's just the way that we interact with people that's that's going to change.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. David, you mentioned uh, to me through the email that there are some changes to the corporate winding up processes and procedures on the yes, horizon. Yes, there will you be.
2: To... I mean, it was only announced last Friday, so the facts are pretty thin on the ground. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, those particularly creditors who have been through um, having uh, uh, one of their clients go into liquidation, you know, They've been abhorred, and probably rightfully so, at the cost of winding up. And um, sort of partly in the defence of liquidators, we are working in a legislative environment that is designed for one size fits all. So you've got the same statutory duties and obligations as you would if you were winding up BHP. So therefore, there's the associated costs. And I think what the government has recognised is that um, those costs really need to be managed. Um, so that creditors have got the prospect for a better return. So they're streamlining uh, the liquidation process, um, doing away with a lot of the statutory meetings, cutting down on the investigative work that liquidators have to do, the reporting to ASIC. Um, So hopefully that will reduce some of the the costs. Um, Also, they're introducing a new restructuring and turnaround procedure. Again, because the current legislative framework uh, for what probably you would recognise names like voluntary administration and deeds of company arrangement, they're cost prohibitive. They really are. So they've streamlined all of that, um, cut down the timeframes, cut down um, the peripheral requirements. It's basically um, an insolvency practitioner comes in, looks at the proposal, has got 20 days to report to creditors. Creditors have got 15 days to think about it, vote whether they support it or not. Um, A lot of it is leaning towards uh, the US system, which is basically what they call debtor in control or debtor in possession. So shifting the control back to the insolvent company directors uh, with an insolvency practitioner overviewing it rather than having creditors determine what should be done and how it should be done. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that will substantially reduce the costs and hopefully, you know, if creditors or if small businesses do become insolvent, then there's a prospect of a better return. So.
0: And has that? do you think that change is being driven by an understanding that potentially we will be facing a raft of businesses in that position that may yes, need I, I, to yeah, go I through mean, that process? Yeah
2: businesses and generally uh, and insolvency practitioners have been talking about a tsunami of insolvencies um, and you talked about zombie companies and the government's job keeper and um, support packages for businesses basically kicking the can down the road and you know, now the can's come to a halt. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, as I said, I'm, in, I'm quietly optimistic for, for Western Australia, but, um, you know, there are going to be a significant increase in the number of insolvencies. So that goes back to what I was talking about earlier in, in, in protecting your business, things to look at in the economy. Um, you need to look at your supply chain as well. You need to look at your debtors to make sure that... Um, You're not going to be caught with some unexpected bad debts. You're not going to be caught with one of your suppliers not being able to supply you anymore. Um, Yeah, there are going to be significant increases. I think that's a
0: really good point you make around the supply chain because we've also seen, you know, a big impact on businesses in terms of just generally being able to get product with Mm -hmm. flights and things being reduced, but also, as you say keeping an eye on your risks and your risks aren't just inside your business they're also in that external environment in terms of relationships and I imagine during COVID Carl a lot of the liquor suppliers and and produce and suppliers to your industry would have been hurting as much as your industry was have you seen um, both in terms of locally food or liquor supplies and those sorts of things much change in the turnover of those are they all still holding strong
3: there seems to be, yeah. I'm, we've had a few that have changed their terms of business and mm. want paying a lot quicker. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wasn't the old call of uh, hospitality that the key is to uh, make sure you're paying for your liquor after it's been drunk or something along those lines?
3: Well, I mean, well, it's a great cash flow business yeah. because that's exactly what you do do. But, 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 but that has a, a double whammy effect when you suddenly stop trading mm. because you suddenly you're left with all this stock. <laughs> like, <"Yeah>, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, a lot of the supplies were very good um, during that period and, and, and took it all back. In, in fact, one of my biggest suppliers, Lion, agreed to take it all back, but we'd reopened by the time they got some like thousands and thousands of op lists to do. So by the time they came to pick it up, we'd already sold it. So.
0: Oh, that's great. <laughs> so,
2: well. <laughs> one, one of the other um, liquor retailers in Fremantle got in a um, small canning machine so they were recanning and selling mm. cans across the counter for what they were selling out of tex because that's the
0: other thing is some of those perishable you know I mean liquor most liquor does hold but you know beer and a beer few things like no. that it doesn't you actually have to get it through and and being agile as a business is actually having solutions that if you do get stuck that you've got a way to find your way out of it absolutely
3: we've just drunk our way out of it yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> this stock's got to go
0: it's got to go <laughs> 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 oh, funny. But, you know, and that's something people don't realise is that, you know, in hospitality, restaurants, all of those venues, they do rely on, you know, having fresh, perishable stock to hand. So when it's you have to close your business in 12 hours, you know, what do you do with all the, the lettuce and the beer and, the you know, there's only so much cheese people can eat. So Well,
3: certainly uh, a lot of our staff were given... Welfare packs, Packs. if you like, so so all of the fresh ingredients were were found a good home for, Mm. although I couldn't claim it on the insurance, which I tried to do. Yes.
0: (laughs) On insurance, something else, I guess, your advice to businesses that potentially are looking at funding, I guess, an option of the wind down of JobKeeper, what options are there out there and what do you think the risks are, again, of, of taking on more potential debt than you already have in your business?
1: Uh, there's there's plenty of options um, uh, and, you know, the banks will lend money as long as you've got a reasonable business model, which is not, not so easy these days. Um, and I think there, there, the risk is no different to what it's always been. And again, if you've got very good control over your business and your cash flows and and, and you're doing some planning, um, then you've got the same risk that you've always had and the banks appreciate uh if you plan properly and can show them a proper plan, that uh, and, and they're much more likely to to uh, to fund you if, if there's a good reason to.
2: And also the the lending requirements. I think the government's encouraging the banks to lower the hurdles. Yes, they've um,
3: made so. some changes there. That's right. They've still got their government-backed loans available, haven't they? They. Um, we, I certainly took advantage of that in the early days. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think they extended
1: that. Have they extended that? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. But I think importantly, what's you know on, on on the negative, what's coming up, which which everyone knows, is you know deferred loan repayments, so so capitalised interest, um, deferred rent payments, um, which I think might have just got extended. get extended, yes. Um, yes. Uh, you know we're coming up to Christmas, so people need to buy stock. There's lots of things, lots of cash flow pressures at the moment. So that's why I think it's just so important that people. have a good hard look at that. And in that
0: modelling, as you say, if you've deferred rent or you've deferred your loan repayments and then you've got to cash up for for Christmas in stock, you know, you have to be able to predict when all of that's coming back online and I imagine there's a number of different scenarios that businesses need to work through to do some of that thinking.
1: That's right. There's a whole, whole heap of things there. And I think from a risk planning perspective, it just goes back to things like making sure you don't have, you know, Reliance on a debtor that might go broke and take you down—you don't have reliance on suppliers on one supplier that's in China that might, or overseas, or somewhere that no, might. You just need—you you just need to have, uh, you know, good good backup plans, and you need to start sort of making those um, those relationships now part of the planning process, so that if something else happens, you've got a number of sources to to um, fall back on.
0: Sounds good. I've got so excited with my own questions that I've admitted to turn to our in-house audience. Um, Would anyone like to ask any questions of our panel? Cal, have you got any on the live feed? No? Alrighty. Well, I have one... I guess, big one, in terms of uh, winding up to each of our panellists. And I might start from the other end, Carl, and work our way back this time. If you had to give one piece of advice to businesses as they navigate their way through this extension of JobKeeper, but also the changing markets over the next few months, what would it be?
3: Um, It would probably be uh, what I said earlier about changing your mindset and, and being prepared for Complete shutdown again, and, and 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 just the. I think COVID has, has highlighted the uncertainty, and um, you know, you, prior to that, you're sort of blindly going along. you everything's tickety boo, and, and and you know you can predict your next your, your, your next month's sales quite accurately, um, but I think that is, is out the window now. So I think uh, being prepared for the worst would be my uh, advice. Mm
0: great. David, did you have anything that
3: you'd give? I'm with Carl, yes. (laughs) Um, Look through all
2: of your business indicators. um, Try to identify all your risk factors. Um, I don't think it will happen, but if you prepare for the worst, if you've got a plan B, um, you've got a far greater chance of survival than if you go along with your fingers crossed. Um, I'm stealing probably Mark's thunder, but it gets back to Cash flow projections, um, analysing your risk factors, and preparing for the worst. And I don't think it will happen, but you've got to be prepared.
0: It's almost living that old age, isn't it? You know, it's only at the point where you've got absolutely nothing to lose that you've got everything to gain. And I think you know, there's been a lot of fear um, in all of us in in a very steady time of of losing things. And I think we've all had to let go of a little bit of that, and that's then the opportunity where you can set a platform. The growth and you know what your growth scenario is as opposed to what happens when the bottom is Yeah, when you get the
2: foundations right, yeah. um, that then gives you the opportunity to take advantage of the opportunities mm. when they arise. But if you're on the back foot,
0: um, really you're going to miss the pay boat. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's great advice, David. Thank you. Mark, do you have anything
1: else? Uh, mine about? is just uh, start the planning process, don't, don't put it off. I think people think uh, it's a lot more complex than it needs to be. So, I think set some time aside. It, it's, it's probably a half-day process, but break it down into five one-hour breakfast meetings. Include other people. Um, get your team involved. They're great because they're at the coalface usually. Get your business partners involved. Get your professional advisors involved. Get some outside uh, views. Um, and, and, and make sure you finish every planning session with an action plan. Uh, no other reports. don't you don't have to write a 20-page business plan just half a dozen dot points, things that are important um, or things that are low-hanging fruit, easy wins, put a few of those in there too. And if you have those and you have an action plan and and someone just to follow up on that, then you can can, um, get started and, and, and make a difference.
0: Sounds great. Well, thank you all very, very much. As always, I love that our conversation starts on a topic about JobKeeper, but we all take away some really important business advice and life advice in general. So thank you, gentlemen, very, very much. We look forward to seeing how things do plan out over the next few months. As I said, nothing is going to happen until the 20th of November when we have a fantastic celebration of all of our Fremantle businesses and how well they've done over the last few months uh, to, to hold tight and come out the other side. So thank you again and thank you to our online audience and our audience in the room. That's it for today.